Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 344 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Adam is not here. Um, Again, it's just one of those, we're having one of those months where our schedules never seem to overlap. Um, We are both out of the office at various points throughout this week just for different reasons, and so I'm recording this in advance of mine. Um my uh, my time out. So this is an interview I did with Blake Crouch at ALA Midwinter. Blake wrote Dark Matter a couple of years ago, which I read in like a day. And um, yeah, Recursion was very similar. So Recursion is his latest book. It plays a lot with um, memory and time and identity. Uh, it's out tomorrow, June 11th. And I had so much fun talking to him. I, I said that this... Um, last week about Jennifer Weiner. I don't fangirl very often, but I absolutely adored Dark Matter and was so excited to get to interview Blake Crouch. This time in person. So um, it was, I think, the first interview I did at Midwinter as well. And the book is fantastic. If you like those sort of um, puzzle, science fiction puzzle type books, kind of like Dark Matter, you'll absolutely love Recursion. Um, We talked, Adam and I mentioned this in one of our Probably, I think, in the June book pick list, we talked about the um, the Mandela effect, and uh, Blake and I do talk about it in, this, uh, in our interview, because it did come up a little bit. So, all set. Blake Crouch interview. Good times. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, as always, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. I almost forgot it there for a minute. Professionalbooknerds.com. You can email us, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can reach out to us that way. All sorts of fun stuff. Um, so, yeah. I think that's all I got. Midwinter's coming up. Not midwinter. Midwinter was in January. That's where this came from. Annual. ALA Annual is coming up. And uh, Adam and I will both be there in D.C. So, you know, be sure to stop by and say hello. And, um... I think that's all I have. I think that's it. So I'm, because I'm clearly can't talk right now, as always when I do these alone, I'm just going to let y'all listen to this interview I did with Blake Crouch on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Jill, and with me I have Blake Crouch, best-selling author of Dark Matter, which was a New York Times bestseller, and his Wayward Pine trilogy, which was adapted into a Fox TV series. He also co-created the TNT series Good Behavior, based on his own books, and his new book is uh, Recursion. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So can you give our listeners a brief introduction to Recursion? Yeah, Recursion is my follow-up to Dark Matter. It is a thriller, like all of my work. And it kind of plays in the space of memory. Specifically, what if you could go back into your most precious and vivid memories and change them? 
would you? That's actually a really good question. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I sort of like the idea that you, you know, memory is something that's so intrinsic to all of who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really big question to grapple with. Like, what would you do if you could change your memories? It's, um, I don't want to give any spoilers for the book. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's something I was thinking a lot about going into the writing of, of this novel. There were uh, a couple of scientists from MIT who, I think in 2012 or 13, they implanted a false memory in a mouse. Um, and it, it seems like maybe not such a big deal, but if you think about the ramifications of that, messing with memory in, in a small animal, and if you scale that up to humans, right, the technology is almost there to be able to mess with memories. Right. All memories are... are neurons firing in our in our brain certain patterns of neurons and we can conjure them on our own or things like light optogenetics um, or something called um, it's like really intense magnet can be used to push uh, sound waves into your brain and can trigger those memories without you triggering them so I was like what if what if we took it even farther and what if we played with almost a VR approach to memory. So you, it's almost memory tourism. What if you go into a memory of your 10th birthday party that you loved and maybe it was the last time you saw your father or something like that. What if you go in and really re-experience that on not just the way we remember things naturally, but almost reliving it, like going back into yourself in that moment. Um, I just kind of fell in love with that idea. I think it's, you know, uh, with memory, even when we remember things actually it's not always accurate so I think taking that VR approach you may realize your memory of it is not really accurate (laughs) they say that the mere act of remembering something alters it each time we remember something it changes the memory just a little bit and if you look at the research on eyewitness testimonies in court things like that our our memory is incredibly fallible and the more we return to something the more we change it Except, of course, for things like flashbulb memories, which are a little harder to mess with. What are those? Um, well, I'll, I'll share one of mine. I was uh, eight years old, sitting in the dentist's office, uh, waiting in the reception area, and I was waiting to go back and have my visit. And uh, someone had rolled a TV out, and the TV was on. And we were watching uh, a teacher and another and a, a few other crew members go up in Challenger space shuttle. Oh. And I, of course, we all know the Challenger blew up a couple, like 90 seconds after liftoff. But I remember incredibly vividly everything about that moment, even though I was eight years old. Huh. I remember the, uh, one of the women coming out of the back who still had a mask on, staring at the screen, tears coming down her face, and saying, oh my God, I remember my mom getting really upset and I, and I you know I was eight years old but I knew something was drastically wrong because no one knew what's safe for a moment you just right. saw all the clouds separating um, you know I think 9-11 is probably also okay. a flashbulb moment you know, probably the first time you uh, met your future spouse or partner sure. like, so that's a flashbulb moment I've never heard that term before yeah. look at that learning so much <laughs> I think and I, I like that um, you mentioned that sort of this technology kind of already exists and you sort of look at scaling it up that feels sort of a lot like dark matter mm-hmm. in that that technology is already sort of there mm-hmm. and you just sort of push it a little further. So 
kind of what is your process in thinking ahead enough to where the technology could be? Hmm. Um, well, thus far, over the last few books, like I mean, probably starting with Wayward Pines, I didn't want to. I didn't want to set something so far into the future that it had to be like you know big underscored science fiction, right. like flying cars and things. I wanted it to be a world that felt like five or ten minutes in the future, like with one little extra jump in technology, um, you know, the speculative thing at the center of the book is becomes possible. Because I think that's more impactful. Um, and that's why I think something like Black Mirror just works so well, because yep. it doesn't feel, it feels like our world. And I want my books to feel like our world, like something that could happen. Because I think there's such a bias against science fiction a lot of readers and I, I want to do everything I can to bring as many people and I think there is certain a certain element of increasing that uh, suspense and thriller knowing that it is just say five or ten minutes away versus 500 years away yes. you know it, it does increase that element of um, being on the edge of your seat mm-hmm. a little bit and so you do it very well oh, thank you <laughs> Um, so I want to, you know, this idea of memory is just so fascinating. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, I'm just sort of stuck on this idea of it being so scary to think about memories and not being sure they're real <laughs> and false memory. And, um, this idea of false memory and, you know, this idea that a group of people can all remember something incorrectly or they, they think they know what is happening. You're and talking about the Mandela effect. I do. I am. <laughs> wow. I, I don't. I don't know if you've gotten an advanced. Uh, I have not. Leader of recursion I'm yet. Not. Well, the effect is directly addressed <gasps> in it. I love it. It's such a creepy thing. <laughs> like um, the Baron signed bears. Yes. I think that I know it was S T E I N, and it's apparently the Baron Stain bears. I don't know why that should be so upsetting, but I think it's because. That in, I think that in particular is tied to our childhood, and mm-hmm. so you know this is something we think we know from growing up our entire lives. This is this staple in our life, mm-hmm. and then we get to adulthood, and suddenly it makes us look at everything differently. Well, in I, in the book, you know, you mentioned false memories because there's that sort of at the the way that we go into the book is we are living in a world very much like ours, except there's this. Um, I don't know what to call it. I guess it's a neurological malady going around. They call FMS, or false memory syndrome. So you'll wake up one day. It's like a ex- completely exaggerated version of the Mandela effect. Okay. So like, if you woke up tomorrow, and instead of working for Overdrive, and I don't know where you live, but you know, wherever you Cleveland. live. Yeah, call <laughs> Cleveland, okay. All right. I don't know if you're married or have a partner, but right. like, it's all of yeah. that changed. And you still remembered like living in Cleveland working for Overdrive and all but everything was different like you know you worked for Penguin Random House instead or weren't even in books at all but you still had those very clear memories of this other almost shadow life right like what what do you do about like but reality lines up with these new memories that also feel real so which like which are true and which are false that's a little disconcerting to think about Yeah, I remember the first time, I don't remember the first time I heard about the Mandela effect. It might be the Berenstain Bears, but it's just this really fascinating concept of these other, this idea of this other world and mm-hmm. this other past exists and we're just sort of shifted ever yeah. so slightly in our realities. 
bizarre. It is bizarre. And it was called the Mandela Effect because a lot of people remember Nelson Mandela dying, dying in prison. <laughs> which I, that, I, don't, I don't remember that, but a lot of people do. I don't either. I don't either. And I remember, there's actually this, I remember this group, uh, there's a big Facebook group of librarians. Um, and somebody brought up, they were trying to find this uh, scene from a TV show. I remember correctly, a character was trying to paint a wall and somebody else walked under the ladder and it fell and paint fell. And everyone's like, oh yeah, I totally remember the scene, but I can't remember what TV show it came from. And there's thousands of us trying to remember. And it apparently doesn't exist. Like no one could actually figure it out, but we all kind of remembered the scene from a TV show and everyone's watching old clips of like sitcoms and um, opening scenes of sitcoms, no one could figure out where it came from. And so it was this collective kind of huh. false memory of things. It was really bizarre. It's the collective nature of it. Yeah, that's, I think that's what the collective nature of it weird. is. It is weird. <laughs> but I think a lot of it was kind of everyone sort of feeding into this idea and we all are imagining it in our heads and it just, the more we kept thinking about it, the more it seemed very real. But no one could figure out what it was from. I don't know if anyone ever actually did determine if it was real or not. It was, mm. it was a very bizarre day. That's strange. Just like a <laughs> weird Reddit forum. Yeah. Actually, we probably should have just gone to yeah. Reddit. <laughs> Someone on Reddit will probably get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Um, so I, the description of um, the book, uh, uh, Recursion calls it a science fiction puzzle box, which mm. seems to kind of be a little bit of your thing with dark matter as well. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah. Um, I think puzzle box... And this is, yeah, I would say even more puzzle box than dark matter. Okay. Certainly harder to write. <laughs> um, yeah, my whiteboard was just a nightmare. Of, uh, uh, I don't, again, I don't want to spoil the book because the memory thing is the way we go into the book, but it becomes something, something much, else. much yeah. bigger. I mean, the memories stay critical to the plot, but it. it I don't want. To, I should stop talking about them. Um, it is. I, I like. Uh, I don't know that I'll always do this with books. Uh, every book that I write but at least for the last few I really like pulling the reader in um, in kind of in a fairly grounded world but then starting to throw weird things at them and giving a sense of something being just deeply off okay. and wrong um, I think that's where the I think that's where the puzzle box sort of comes that makes sense yeah. and full interactive as a reader then you're kind of trying to solve it <laughs> yeah you're like oh where's this go? and I love that I mean I love messing with the reader I love it oh that's that's good to know <laughs> readers um, people read a lot and they think they know where things are going and there's a lot of things that you could do as a writer to take him down a path they think this is where it's going and then yeah that's, like that's no true. one will know I mean I, I defy someone to guess where recursion goes after the midpoint just I defy them Really? Yeah. It's like a challenge now? Yeah. So everyone's going to be reading it now. <laughs> and they're going to be like emails from people. <laughs> and then they'll get to the end and be like, oh, yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> I did feel that way about Dark Matter. Because I feel like with Dark Matter, it felt you had sort of painted yourself into a corner. And I'm like, how is he going to get out of this? And I get to the end. I was like, I feel like I should have seen that, but didn't. I, I was painted into a corner for a while. Uh, and I was like, wow. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this yet. Or at this point, because, you know, Jason gets home and I'm like, wow, this just feels like it's going to wrap up in a pretty straightforward, predictable way. And then I went back through my, I always take um, notes and, and journal when I'm writing, and mainly in the beginning. And I had, um, I'm not going to 
say what sure. happens for those uh, listeners who haven't read it, but uh, you know the twist. I do. And I went back, and like on day three of even, of my brainstorming of dark matter, I had written, "What if Got this it. happens?" Yeah. And then right under it, I was like, "No, that's too. That's stupid." Uh, it felt stupid at the time, but sure. after I had, you know, written 300 pages of the book, it was like the perfect it, yeah. thing and the inevitable, yep. be kind of the only way it could really Right, go. right. That's what I mean. I got to the end, I was like, that's, yeah. that's the only way yeah. to get yourself out of that corner yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So then you mentioned your whiteboard for um, recursion. Do you plot out or do you just sort of have big ideas? Mm, and kind well, of put them I start them? with big ideas that um, I'm in that place right now trying to figure out what I do after recursion and right it's a lot of just kind of writing kind of giant what if questions it's just seeing do I like this can I do this um, and you know a lot of the ideas are are we just wouldn't work or it's too far afield um, the ones that I tend to work are the ones that are just scary enough right and it feels um, like kind of insurmountable but not like I'm suddenly writing in a different genre or something, you know. Okay. Yeah. And, know? Then, and then it's very meticulous uh, plotting, but it okay. changes. Like, I, I have this document, which is called the secret, My Secrets of Events document, and it it has scene by scene everything that happens. And some scenes, um, it's like the more I just know intuitively what the scene's about, the less I'm, I need to flesh it out. But if I don't really know what, what happens in a scene, I really spend a lot of time building it. And this document constantly changes. Like it's almost like at the end of every writing day, I'm, going, I'm opening the document, I'm going into it, I'm tweaking what I've written to line up with uh, you know the outline, and I'm looking at how that changes what comes next. Okay. Um, so it's a it's definitely a, a living doc, document. Do you have the ends figured out? <laughs> no. no. Never. Never. <laughs> Is that good or bad? Well, it's not easy. Okay, that's a fair answer. <laughs> um, you know I've. Like I read an interview once where like Jeffrey Deaver knew the end of the Bone Collector because he just knew that it was going to be um, I forget the character's name but he got a paraplegic in a wheelchair right. at the mercy of a serial killer and like ugh, I've never known it into any of my books so I sometimes not even I get to the third act and I just have no idea I think part of it I'm, a, I'm kind of a dense um, reader of books and watcher of movies like I never see anything I'm always like whoa I never saw that Everyone around, you know, right. a partner is an editor. Um, she always is like, this is what's happening. <laughs> she see it so obviously. Like, no, I don't. So that might be part of why I have trouble envisioning it. Um, very good at openings and okay. beginnings. Um, yeah. We get to the end eventually, and then it's a big surprise for you, too. Okay. It's hard. I mean, like, an end, it is sort of like throwing a dart at a wall. And I mean, unless it, like, an end only works if it has context like right. it, has to, it has to it works because an end, a great ending works because of everything that's come before it so it doesn't just I just told you the end of um, you know Star Wars or something I, I, I don't know if that would blow your mind right it, it works because uh, it's so right considering everything that comes before I guess if your outlines and story is a little fluid yeah. in terms of where it's going, an ending you came up with six months ago may not make sense when you finally get yeah. to that point. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So we are at a library conference, and did you were you a big library user when you were growing up? Do you have any good memories of the library yeah, and librarians? I, um, uh, I just I remember the smell of the old 
card catalogs. And, you know, yep. I was searching uh, through the old Dewey Decimal System. I remember that. I, I remember books I had discovered in the library um, time and again. The, uh, Is that the... It's a Jack... Jack, Jack Finney. Jack yes. Finney book. Mm-hmm. I, I remember reading that, yep. sitting and reading that whole book in the library. Um, I remember discovering... I think I, I, think I discovered A Wrinkle in Time in the library. Uh, I grew up in Statesville, North Carolina. Yeah, we, we would go there probably once a week. And you know, I, was, I didn't come from a super poor family, but we were solidly lower middle class. So we didn't have money to go out and buy hardcovers. So, right. Um, really, uh, yeah, libraries made a huge, huge uh, impact on me. That's why I love starting out, um, you know, promoting a, a book. I mean, of course, it's out till June, but always fitting, I think, to first introduce a book to librarians. Right. That's kind of where I think, first of all, what they do for communities and making books accessible to everyone, but also that's where word of mouth begins mm-hmm. in the life of a book. And they did that for Dark Matter in a very big way. Hopefully, uh, the same will be true for recursion. I'm sure it will. They know who, like, you know, they'll get the book, they'll know who, what readers in their community will want to read this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> so then, did you read a lot of sort of science fiction fantasy books when you were growing up? Uh, I did. I, I read a lot of uh, science fiction. You know, Lord of the Rings. My mom read those aloud to us. That's fun. Um, I loved the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about that. like, And I think that was a, a real impact on, on me, even on my writing now, because like, I don't think C.S. Lewis is like a great fantasy writer, but the sort of the, the overlay of a world and another world and, and the, the grounded way it goes into it with a, you know some kids just trying to get out of war-torn London for a, a period of time and yeah. a magic wardrobe I don't know it, it introduced fantasy to me in a way I could get behind like I still have trouble with um, you know the sort of the swords and lasers and dragons level of fantasy um, I, 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 I don't know I just have a block probably the, some, the same way a lot of people have a block of about reading science fiction mm-hmm. um, and you know The Lord of the Rings and, and Chronicles of Narnia really and an equal in time um, sort of my intro to that genre so at the end of all of our episodes and interviews we have something we call the Nerd Nine sort of like a lightning round a little bit okay. not too scary don't put too much thought all right. what is the last book you finished reading I read like multiple books at a time sure uh, what's the last Ah, the fourth Harry Potter. Uh, I'm reading them. I've never read them. Uh, waited till my kids got old enough, and we're reading them together. Like my mom read Lord of the Rings to me, so we just read the fourth. And I'm like, I don't know if I can keep reading this out loud to my kids because this is getting like intense and emotional. And, uh, and yeah, and now we're like you know two hundred pages into book five, and I'm like, oh god. Oh yeah, it's a uh, yeah yeah. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and book four is where it really starts to kind of mm-hmm. get a little darker. Yeah picks up a little bit more it's a little heavier that's actually kind of fun though that you've never read them and are reading them for the first time with your kids and I haven't seen the when I'm not watching the movies we don't watch the movies until we finish the books sure. so I haven't seen I, I honestly so you don't, have no know idea. I wow. don't know what happens I don't know what happens the fact that you've made it this far without knowing <laughs> what happens I won't ruin anything for you um, favorite place to read uh, the daybed in my uh, living room a uh, book that made you fall in love with reading? 
the Prince of Tides by Pat Conroy. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. One place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Peru. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Right down the middle on that yeah, one. That's fine. Uh, favorite food? Uh, barbecue. And if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Cormac McCarthy. And finally, what would you like readers to take away from recursion? Uh, I'm going to answer a, a, a bit more long-winded on this because it, okay. it's not a, a simple question for this book. Um, like, memory is far more fundamental to us than we realize. And I, that sounds like obvious. Like, uh, of course, memories are our reality and then the way we see our, our, you know, we build our identity. But in doing my research for this book, I discovered that the present, like this moment, like living in the present is a complete illusion because I'm like sitting across from you and you're hearing my words coming at you at 600 miles an hour. My image is coming to you at the speed of light. And so your neural receptors take both of these informations in at different speeds, hold them together, reorder them, and then present them to you as a complete moment, like a sit, like a audio video sync of a movie. Uh huh. So you're experiencing, and I'm experiencing this about a half second after it's actually happening, which means we don't live in the present. We live every moment of our lives in memory. I don't. <laughs> Well, now I'm going to have to like, look at life and everything just completely different. Yeah. So you just broke all illusion I had of the world as I know it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the of podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.